Today's episode is brought to you by Alexandra Park BJJ. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a full-contact martial art and combat sport that was developed in Brazil in the 20th century. With roots in Judo and Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, has been developed and refined into a unique grappling art with the aim to allow a smaller and weaker individual to beat a bigger and stronger opponent with the application of proper technique. Based in Muswell Hill, North London, Alexandra Park BJJ's classes are designed so that you can develop your fitness levels, balance, coordination and flexibility in a no-pressure environment and to provide the opportunity to start a new sport at a reasonable price. At Alexandra Park BJJ, we aim to be inclusive so that everyone can benefit from this incredible art, not just the athletic or ultra-competitive. To book your free class, head over to alexandraparkbjj.co.uk or email inquiries at alexandraparkbjj.co.uk. Welcome to Audiobookish, an audiobook review and discussion podcast looking at audiobooks both big and small, as well as radio plays, narrative podcasts, anything audiobook-ish. This podcast may contain spoilers, rants, curse words, mispronunciations of names and places, and more. Hello everyone, you're listening to Audiobookish. My name is Fahed Rahman and I'm joined by Poppy Knight. Hello. And this episode is our last in our series of our look at the books on the shortlist for Book of the Year, Audiobook Nonfiction for the British Book Awards. And the two titles that we are going to be discussing are A Pocketful of Happiness by Richard E. Grant and Friends, Lovers and The Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry. And we're going to start the discussion with Matthew Perry's book, Friends, Lovers, and The Big Terrible Thing. Do you want to read out the blurb for that, Poppy? Yes. So, the beloved star of Friends takes us behind the scenes of the hit sitcom and his struggles with addiction in this candid, funny, and revelatory memoir that delivers a powerful message of hope and persistence. In an extraordinary story that only he could tell, Matthew Perry takes readers onto the soundstage of the most successful sitcom of all time, while opening up about his private struggles with addiction. Candid, self-aware, and told with his trademark humour, Perry vividly details his lifelong battle with the disease and what fuelled it, despite seemingly having it all. Friends, Lovers, and The Big Terrible Thing is an unforgettable memoir that shares the most intimate details of the love Perry lost, his darkest days, and his greatest friends. Unflinchingly honest, moving and hilarious, this is the book fans have been waiting for. Great. So one of the things I think is probably worth mentioning is that this and Edward Ennefall's bio, A Visible Man, are both also on the short list for Book of the Year nonfiction narrative, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is kind of quite interesting to see that there's yeah. a crossover there. Um, so do you want to kind of start off the discussions? Because I only just finished listening it, <laughs> listening to this today, and I've, I'm still trying to um, figure out my thoughts about it so kind of do you want to kind of start off with kind of your first observations sure I can do yeah um I think one thing that's good to note sort of piggybacking a bit off the discussion we had about 10 steps to the net and the accuracy of the title you know sometimes you feel like oh the title are they just mentioning the thing the person's famous for because that's what will pull you into it or whatever I really think this title is very honest it's about friends it's about lovers and it's about the big terrible thing addiction and I think yeah it, it weaves really nicely those three things it talks 
about friends, both obviously his friends in in that sense of, you know, friends and family friends, but also definitely a lot about the show. It talks about his lovers. It's quite a big prominent thing is um, his relationship with women, um, specific relationships in his life, as well as just his general approach to relationships and successes and failures in general that he's had um, in his love life and a lot of that tied to addiction and then yes addiction is a big thing throughout it how he's found the disease the um, relapses the things that have helped him the way he's using his experience to help others and of course kind of a big thing that this memoir does kind of open with or at least very much centres around and and comes back to was a very big health scare that put him in a coma and that was because of the years of drug abuse that caused that. Um, So yes, I think it's an interesting book that really does deliver on that. It's about these three things and I think it weaves them together really nicely. Um, What did you think about it overall? So I think I kind of had one feeling while I was listening to it Mm -hmm. and then I had another feeling after I finished it and while I was listening to it I, was, I, I quite enjoyed the way Perry tells his life story he he writes really well yeah mm-hmm. he's a really good writer he's quite funny in the way he mm-hmm. delivers his anecdotes kind of these sarcastic kind of pithy yeah. sides and I was kind of like oh you know this is kind of quite enjoyable but then at the end I had my feeling was like that was a fun ride but I'm not entirely sure that the end of the journey itself was kind of it didn't kind of sit in a comfortable place so mm-hmm. i think it's worth mentioning you um just bringing back the point that you mentioned this kind of the book starts and ends with his stay in hospital and how that's affected him and mm-hmm. i think that's kind of it kind of serves up a, as a jumping off point to kind of show us you know he's he's ended up in hospital really really poorly like mm-hmm. really seriously mm-hmm. unwell and then kind of that jumps back as well how did I get to this point and then we kind of end back in the hospital so kind of so how how do I explain this with a lot of endings you'd kind of want it to kind of end either in like a triumphant place Mm. or like a tragic place and this kind of ends somewhere in between yeah if that makes sense because his story still be lots to left left to be told if that makes sense yeah yeah and i'm glad it didn't end in a tragic place instead Um, i'd rather it be in the middle but yeah and i think that's the thing it's because it is continuing and and so he's sort of talking about it in the certainly when he was writing it i don't know about recording but when he was writing it he was still you know awaiting a few surgeries off the back of what happened and so yeah he very much still at least at the time of writing is in that place and i can understand what you mean about kind of like narratively it therefore doesn't give a necessarily a satisfying end um but i kind of i quite liked that it it very much is exactly what you say it's letting you know his story's still going on you know he's still pushing through the medical struggles he's still working through his sobriety and he's very much wanting to make a difference for other people with his experience and you know i'd much rather he put the book out now to reach people than wait until it had a nicer ending um to reach them then so i think that's uh i think that's fair and then on the writing as you were saying i agreed i thought it was really good and there were definitely points where i was you know actively smirking and having a a snigger at stuff like that that I thought was really good. My criticism on the writing would be I did think there was quite a bit of repetition 
Um, and yes. maybe this is more on the editing side than it is actually yeah. on his writing. But there were a few bits that did repeat. I mean, I like how this book um, isn't chronological. You know, we do move through time. Um, yeah. And I think that's handled quite well. But it does mean that a few things came up a couple of times. And even a few things where it was like, and at this moment, I realised this. And it's like, yes, but you did realise that a few chapters ago. And stuff like that. There was some definite repetition going on. But yeah, I would have liked a bit more, mainly, yeah, a bit more on the editing stage of working out, okay, which of the repeats of this should we keep in um, and keeping it there? But that's my only criticism on the writing. The actual, like you said, the journey of the book, even if the ending isn't what you wanted. I really enjoyed the ride. I thought it was an entertaining book throughout. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've listened to quite kind of quite a few audiobooks this year, and I think just in terms of the way like his sentences, the, mm. the way he writes, I think they're maybe some of the best sentences that I've listened to. It's good, yeah. This year, I mean, he he really knows how to write. I was really quite impressed because you think oh, it's a celebrity memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to be a bit of a tough? But yeah, it kind of just on the quality, the craftsmanship that he kind of yeah. puts into into the writing. I think it, it deserves to be there on those merits alone, and it doesn't surprise me is that it's popped up on the um, mm-hmm. on the other shortlist as well. So I've got just a few key words or key things mm. kind of written down that I took notice of just while I was uh, listening mm-hmm. to this. So Matthew Perry's kind of explanation for addiction he says it's kind of like there's you know some people can kind of drink like a lot and then they can just stop but he can't do that that's not kind of within the chemical makeup Mm -hmm. of his body but he also says that there's a part of addiction that's down to an emotional wound Mm. as well and I felt thought it's kind of quite interesting how he went through the kind of circumstances of his birth kind of his you know, the way his parents met and then their subsequent separation and then how his, you know, his mother was really young when she had him and the kind of medical practices at the time of giving like uh, babies mm-hmm. kind of like, I can't remember the name of the drug off the top of my head, but kind of giving him quite a uh, powerful. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought, well, that's probably had an effect as well. And he kind mm-hmm. of makes that uh, observation himself, but he doesn't really put his blame on his, mother or the medical mm. establishment because it's kind of like that was kind of this done sort of thing at yeah. the time. Was there anything about that kind of like those, you know, the early part of his story where he's talking about, you know, the medical treatment that he received mm. as a baby, then kind of like that that emotional wound of like his father leaving and then not necessarily getting the attention from his mother that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, I mean I think similar things did stand out. It was a really interesting section. It's something that I didn't know anything about, you know. I know Matthew Perry but only through his characters. I don't know anything yeah. about him personally. And obviously was aware that he had struggled with addiction, but kind of that was all I was aware of, just that it was something that he went through at well and was going through something that affected him. But yeah, I thought it was interesting there kind of looking at yeah the what might some of the causes be. And yeah, there's sort of these different camps. So there's that one specific example of yeah he was struggling to sleep and a loud baby or a you know an unsettled baby and so yeah they prescribed him a strong medication and that very probably did have an effect on him and his relationship with drugs and his relationship with sleep throughout his life so there's that in, in there definitely and also just this idea of some people are predisposed to addiction and we don't really know what the causes is but kind of no matter what would happen he would have had this addictive behaviour anyway. And then also, yeah, that third point of, is very much puts it down to kind of abandonment, feeling abandoned, you know, feeling that his dad abandoned um, him and his mum 
uh, when he was young and then that his mum in a sense kind of abandoned him through her focusing on work which uh, supporting him without a partner was something that you know he acknowledges she needed to be working a lot to be able to do that but it meant that she wasn't around as much for me and didn't speak as much with me and then also when he did then kind of have a bit more of a relationship with his dad it was between Canada and Los Angeles and there was a big journey and he, he makes a big point of how abandoned he felt as an unaccompanied minor on the plane on the journey between those two places and that really had a a big psychological impression on him going through and yeah it's interesting kind of peeling back he doesn't necessarily say you know and so this definitively this is the one reason why i'm you know it was really interesting him kind of exploring okay this is a truth about me i struggle with addiction here are some of the things that probably contributed to that and yeah it's kind of a who knows what to pin it down to but it was interesting to see about that kind of thing and i thought also just in comparing it to the ones we've been doing about recently Interesting that we obviously we just listened to Parenting Hell um, and not meaning this in any way of of scaring parents or anything like that. But it was uh, an interesting look at kind of how what you do as a parent does impact your child. And one that really stood out to me, actually, as an example, was when, you know, how when he stayed with his dad for quite a while, every day his dad would make a drink and say, this is the best part of my day. And, you know, that was another factor that he thought kind of, okay, so I've associated that the drink is the best part of your day and that is what makes you happy you know and it's it kind of seems trivial to say but your kids do pick up on this kind of thing and yeah as i said not meaning that's a scare tactic or calling anyone by parents in any way but it's an interesting thing to consider and obviously yes the not giving your baby strong medication (laughs) uh, is hopefully not going to be a problem anyway but i think we could all easily fall into the trap of saying stuff around children that our adult brains understand the complexities around but they won't they might make a one-to-one connection with this is good um and that could keep going throughout their life and could uh yeah have impacts further on but yes as you said doesn't blame his parents for any of this but just acknowledges all the complexities yeah yeah, you mentioned the phrase unaccompanied minor. He kind of mm-hmm. mentioned that that's a phrase that's repeated throughout the book. And he, he also mentions that was a title that he had in mind for the autobiography. Mm-hmm. And another phrase that he uses over and over again is this idea of being enough. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, I am enough or like uh, you know, the, the counterpoint is that he felt that he wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, that, that emotional wound stemming from his father kind of like, you know, leaving them at the border of Canada and then mm. kind of his mother's like career not being able to get the intention of those two uh two people but again he doesn't he just said this is what's happened to me and I think that's probably had a contribution to the kind of the way that I approach relationships and mm-hmm. yeah, has definitely. contributed to my um my problem with alcohol and um narcotic substances but I'm not blaming them mm-hmm. I'm not blaming them that's you know it's just something that happened he you know he also kind of mentioned like you know, his mum was really young um, and you know, his dad was in a weird place with his career mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they just weren't well suited to each other. And it's kind of, the, that's the other thing I felt that was kind of yeah. quite interesting was his um, his ability to kind of acknowledge things, but not necessarily, I think it showed quite a lot of character not to kind of like blame yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. And in kind of connection with that, so he's talking about the separation. And I always find it interesting when I 
listen to or watch or encounter whatever stories like this of because it's a trope in a sense of certainly if you're thinking about fiction that comes up quite a lot of like the kid wanting to get the parents back together and so my parents are separated but I never wanted them to get back together so I always find it quite funny or kind of it's a weird one for me to be in because I can't really I, I can identify with the separated parents part but I can never identify with that feeling that their separation was a bad thing or shouldn't have happened and wanting them to get back together so yeah but it was quite nice that he you know later in life a kind of as he matured b also when both his parents found partners that really were good fits for them it was really nice to see that he could acknowledge yeah okay that wasn't right it wasn't right for them to be together um and kind of came to terms with that the other thing i wanted to say on what you've just been saying is yeah the impact on his relationships so as we say, friends, lovers, and the big terrible thing. So we've talked about how that kind of childhood family stuff impacted on his addiction, but also so much on his relationships. And the main thing that stood out for me for his relationships, aside from, and just a slight warning of, you know, his feelings towards women are not necessarily the most uh, equality-based um, thoughts. Yeah. Uh, just putting that out there, you know. But apart from that, the thing that stood out most when he was discussing his relationships with women was this thing of he was so scared it would end, he ended it first. Yeah. And it's just such a shame. And, you know, how many relationships have broken down because someone's been so scared of it ending that they've ended it, so scared of it ending that they've self-sabotaged, so scared that someone's cheating on them, that they pushed them away to the point where they cheated. You know, all these kinds of stories that's just, like, I can understand the fear, but it's really, I think, for relationships, you want to be in the moment. You know, you've got to be enjoying it. You've got to not be thinking about but what if it ends? You've got to be thinking about, but how happy am I now kind of thing. And that was really, really sad and kind of sad that even when we got to the end of the book, yes, he's acknowledging that he does this, but we don't necessarily have proof that he's going to break that pattern, you know, and I really hope that he would. Um, But yeah, I think that was really sad. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting you hit on that point. I think one of the themes that does run through the biography is his inability to kind of break these patterns whether it's to do Mm. with the way that he treats women or the way that he treats drugs as well kind of his Mm -hmm. inability um to 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 break this path so i think it's probably um worth talking about the section where he kind of gets into to friends and one yeah. of the things that I found kind of quite interesting kind of really fascinating was he had this group of uh, friends actors that he hung, mm. hung, hung around with and this friend script was going around and he was attached to another tv show and he was giving help to these other people kind of like who were uh, auditioning mm-hmm. for the show including one of his close mates I can't remember the name of the man off the top of my head and everyone was saying kind of everyone you know, around him was saying, "What well, you would be perfect for this role, but he was attached to this other TV show at the time. Yeah. So he was kind of like, he was, that really kind of hurt because he knew he'd be able to do a good job for the Chanted Bing role. Mm-hmm. And I found it hilarious and kind of sad. Yeah. And kind of like that is a really crossroads bit where his friend decides not to take the role of Chanted Bing and instead kind of like takes the lead on another TV sitcom. And that kind of opens up the door for him. Mm-hmm. So how how did you, how did you feel about that entire section where he's kind of like trying to get into that role and mm-hmm. kind of the the early days of him trying to be ready and stuff like that? 
Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I found it really fascinating. And I found it fascinating in general, kind of finding out how similar he was to Chandler or is to Chandler. And yeah. even just from the pilot script, all his friends knew that he was and that's why they were coming to him. And I do think that's really interesting. And yeah, I think it's nice when an actor is so much like the character. And I'll get back to the main point. But also one thing I would love to know is how he felt about the smoking addiction storylines on Friends for Chandler. It'd be really interesting oh, to find yes, out yeah. kind of how that came up, how he responded to that because obviously as, you, as he goes through the friends stuff once he's got it as i say i'll get back on track um but he's talking about kind of in the different seasons how his addiction was kind of which substances he was addicted to potentially whether he was sober whether he was really not sober and i mean the smoking comes up quite a bit throughout the entire show so yeah i would be interested to see how that linked especially because yeah so much clearly of chandler is like him but that's natural with shows that you know they bring some of the actor into the character right we know that they do that but it's so interesting that yeah just from the pilot scripted without him attached to it it was him um is really cool and yeah as we've said about the humor the sarcasm that really is you know it comes through in his writing of this book how much he does you know speak like Chandler and and have that same humor and response to stuff that's interesting but obviously yes a different person and that comes through as well so yes, it was really oh like anxiety inducing listening to yeah. it um and being like, Oh, when's he gonna get it though? You know, and because we know that he does. Um yeah. I'm reminded now talking about it of when we were talking about Bob Mortimer's one and I was saying like I imagine it's a different experience for people who know what co stars he got on certain shows, whereas yeah. I didn't and I was listening to the book like not knowing. Um so yeah, uh but obviously for this one, you know, if you're coming to this book, you know that he got the role. <laughs> And, you know, he'll obviously explicitly say that in the book anyway, even if you for somehow didn't know that and came across this. So you know that he gets it, but it's a really long journey to try and get it. As you say, he's attached to this other show. And that's what I think is really interesting. It gives you some real uh, industry insight into this whole thing of like pilot runs. And, you know, he was the last actor cast that pilot season. You know, I find it fascinating how, certainly back then at least, how, you know, network television ran and the kind of stuff about pilots. And then would you get picked up? Would it be dropped? This high idea that, yeah, if you're an actor that's attached to one show, you can't make it onto another. And it's something that if you find that interesting, definitely it's a reason to listen to this audiobook. But also, very quickly, some recommendations the Fake Doctors, Real Friends, Scrubs Rewatch podcast does a lot of talking about that um, process, which is how I kind of came to this with a bit more understanding of it because I'd heard it through that. And also, similarly, I haven't listened to many episodes of this yet, but the New Girl Watch Along Rewatch podcast talks about how the actor for uh, Winston had a very similar situation and the whole kind of the changing of the cast in the in the first season of that and how yeah flatmates came in and out was was all about which jobs they were attached to and things that's yeah really fascinating yeah specifically i found it fascinating in this but yes frustrating for him and just so glad that he got it because yeah clearly he was the right person for it um and good that he got it a shame that it yeah put a strain on that relationship with the friend who should have taken it if we're thinking objectively but glad that they sort of yeah were able to reconcile that and then yeah the behind the scenes industry stuff both in that getting into it and then also once you're actually there you know the behind the scenes stuff of friends was uh interesting to find out yeah. about um I don't, is it a show that you watch much do you know it yeah, well i mean like when i was kind of like in my early teens kind of like mm-hmm. early secondary school it was an absolutely massive yeah show it kind of like i, I kind of have uh, memories of like when it debuted everyone in school was talking about Mm -hmm. it was kind of like friday night 
uh, you know, he, I think he uses the phrase himself, it was appointment TV to mm. kind of talk about that and kind of um, go through all those things. And one of the things that he also kind of mentions in, in the book is his unrequited crush on... Um, Oh, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, yeah, on Jennifer Aniston. The second time she's come up in our uh, British Book Awards series. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's kind of, you know, I felt, uh, because, you know, everyone everyone was in love with Mm -hmm. Rachel from Friends. But, um, yeah, you know, it's kind of quite interesting that how he kind of talks about that and kind of trying to manage those kind of early, the way the producers of the show wanted to kind of curate a chemistry between the cast and... You know how David Schwimmer kind of took this, not necessarily leadership role, but it's kind of like we need to kind of all be in this together. We'll no- negotiate as yeah. as a team, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was kind of I found those sections quite interesting, as, yeah. especially as he goes on to talk about how he didn't want to derail it and how he's kind of working as a semi-functional. Yeah. Addict mm-hmm. as well, not wanting to derail it, but kind of eventually that monster does kind of get on his back. Yeah, as well. no, definitely. Also, another thing that I really found interesting about this and that, yeah, fellow Friends fans um, will was the behind the scenes of some of the guest stars. Um, yeah. So Hank is one of his friends that um, comes up earlier in the book and obviously he has a, a big spot on um, Friends. I'm a big fan of that character as well. But the main two stories that are interesting are... Bruce Willis's guest spot, yeah, how yeah. that came uh, about, and also Julia Roberts's guest spot, which was quite the story that I didn't know anything about how that yeah. came about. Uh, so that was I really interesting. I wasn't aware they were that. dating. At no, all. exactly. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly not. Yeah, kind of the order that things happened in to mean that she ended up on there. So that was uh, yeah, really interesting, inciting behind the scenes, which yes, a lot of diehard Friends fans might know already. Yeah. Um, but if you don't know it already, or if you just want to hear it from uh, the horse's mouth, then yeah, I think that's really interesting interesting fun stuff to uh yeah to listen to yeah so i think one of the things that kind of you mentioned like the bruce willis and um julia roberts um one of the other things that does come through is like how matthew really has a lot of like jealousy and envy kind of when he's working with bruce it's like this is what it's like to be like an, an mm. a-lister and i really want that for myself and kind of um i found that that kind of like quite interesting you're a really successful bloke mate you know you kind of like you don't really, you're earning lots of money. You're quite, you know, well-regarded and all all the rest of it. And still, there's always something else yeah. to kind of aim for. So, yeah, and yeah, I think that's one of the things that he does talk about when it comes to his addiction is how he would sacrifice his friend's career, all of that, if so long as he was freed from his addiction because yeah it's difficult yeah the way he sort of talks about fame and this kind of idea that he thought fame would fix things and acknowledges that he did reach a massive height of fame and you know that kind of thing that people think is like yeah well when you get to that point you're gonna have nothing to complain about but that the addiction has such a hold on his life that he'd give all of that up to to not have to deal with that and also yeah just that in general fame doesn't fix stuff yeah. is is interesting and yeah i think that's one of the the follies of fame and searching for fame is there's always going to be someone more famous you know yeah that's yeah. just a just a fact or at least you're yeah. always going to feel like there's someone more famous you know and yeah. that kind of sense i think as well of moving between tv and film you know okay you'll be the biggest tv star but you're not the biggest film star and that kind of stuff that is yeah, yeah really quite interesting yeah, I mean, he did, does. I think I remembered the name of his friend. I think his name was Craig Bierko. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And he said to kind of after they kind of got back to get together, he, he said to Craig, look, dude, the fame doesn't do for you what you yeah. think it's going to do for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think 
the last thing we probably should discuss is his addiction. And as any kind of stories that involve addict, it's deeply, like for more for me, it's kind of deeply frustrating because you just think just just sort yourself out, but it's not not possible. It's not that easy. Yeah. And he just the litany. But okay, so I don't want to be like mean about his narration because he does perform uh, his narration beautifully. But when I first started listening to, it, I thought he sounds a bit like drunk. Yeah, kind of his speech sounds a little bit slurred. So it's kind of it's obviously the alcohol and the drugs and everything else has has like kind of done damage to the way he's able to speak. Um, did you notice that as well? Yeah, definitely. And I really wanted to speak about this, and because yeah, yeah, even from the just listen to the preview thing before actually listen to the full book it's his voice is very different and so this is from the thing of like yeah we've listened to hours and hours and hours of him speaking through you know the whole friends catalog and this was many years ago so obviously there's you know aging in there as well does get deeper and stuff like this but but also yeah the the medical stuff that he's gone through kind of the addiction in general and then and you know what the the drugs and alcohol have done as well as the recent severe medical things he sounds unwell unfortunately and slurred yes but also incredibly slow and I kind of feel like I copped out a little bit but it did make me very uncomfortable to listen because it just made me so sad because he, he does sound very ill and just as I say very different to how he did and I sort of as I say, I feel like I bailed out of that discomfort by speeding it up. Yeah. Largely because I didn't want to have to face how affected he is kind of thing, right? And yeah, I appreciate problematic, but that's sort of what my gut reaction was, was that it was making me really upset to hear how yet much he's been changed in a sort of in a negative way about it. But then, so I did speed it up, had it on quite a speed, to a point where I think it felt more like he does um, with Chandler. Um, He sounded younger, he sounded more energetic and it matches the text more. The text, as we've said, it's so, it is a really enthusiastic text and it's got a lot of humour in it and you can, because he does express really well, you can hear the expression that he puts into the lines at least when you speed it up, you can really hear it. And then I, w- I would take myself and go and slow it down again and be like, is it there? And it's like, well, obviously it's there because he must have said it for it to come across when sped up, right? But when it's so slow, you can't really tell the same expression and emphasis and, you know, and the tone that he uses and all that. But when you speed it up, you can. And I also was so kind of, yeah... I don't know what the right word is, but so it preoccupied me so much about this. And like I say, I was speeding up and slowing down throughout. And I also went and found on YouTube some recent um, interviews with him, you know, sort of it's going to be around the same time that he was recording this. And I'll be honest, he sounded better in those interviews than he did recording, as in he sounded, um, he was speaking much quicker. And it was, it was very odd. It's almost as if this audiobook is slowed down. Because like I say, it, it feels mm. natural, sped up. It's almost as if he recorded it and then they went and did it, at, you know, a minus times something and slowed it down even further from even what he is, as I say, on a recent interview where he's talking. So it is something very much, we're talking about this in, in the context of it being audio. It's something we had to bring up. 
I hope I've spoken about it appropriately. But yeah, it is something to factor in. I do think, as you said, he narrates it well. He puts the emphasis in the right place. He puts the expression in there. But with how slow the base level of the audiobook is, that doesn't always necessarily come through. And yet what does come through is that he is so changed and that, yeah, Yeah. the, the years of of the substance abuse and the significant medical things that he's gone through. You know, we don't know how recently he last had a surgery before he got in the studio, you know. Um, Yeah, that might have had effect, yeah. Yeah, you can hear that he's going through a difficult time um, and has been through some difficult stuff. You can hear that in his voice. But it's still, he was definitely the right person to record it. Yeah. But it is something we have to note about the audio, that it is significantly slower than we would have expected him to sound. Yeah, Yeah. so I I, I find it fascinating you, you, you mentioned that because... I agree with you. It does. Um, there is kind of like a, a slight slurring. The pace is a little bit slower than I'd expect. I kind of I listened to most of the book on regular speed. Um, right. Okay. I had this week off, so I had time just to kind of like mm-hmm. sit there and listen. And I think maybe there's a couple of things to why the delivery was maybe a little bit slower than I would have expected. And I think one mm-hmm. of the things is that he is talking about some really painful periods so sure, maybe sure. he's just thinking right you know he's needing to to process that and when we get onto kind of Richard E. Grant's book there's certainly moments in that book where kind of like his emotions get the be- better of him and I think yeah that's maybe true in here as well he does kind Could of be. Mm-hmm. maybe trying to hide how much pain he is by kind of throwing in lots of witty asides and stuff like that and maybe there's a concentration there but yeah he's been through a lot I mean in terms of the, you know, I think he mentioned in the book he's had fourteen um, stomach surgeries. Mm. All his teeth have fallen out. That's definitely got to have an effect mm-hmm. on the way that you narrate um, mm. as yeah. well. So, like his body's really been through the ringer as well. And he does kind of talk. I don't know how to approach this because, guys, he does talk unflinchingly about right. These are all the things that I did to kind of get hold of like opiates and narcotics mm. and drugs kind of like, you know, and he's, and he's talking from a real place of privilege because he's immensely wealthy. So he's able mm. to pay for the best doctors, a sober companion. He's got a personal assistant, all these kind of different things. And he's still lying and cheating and trying to sneak in um, uh, pills or cigarettes or alcohol into kind of whatever situation he's kind of been put in to try and get himself clean. And it does kind of, on one hand, I was thinking, well, like, dude, you've got all the tools that you need to get the treatment that you need. But then on the other hand, it kind of does really emphasize how overpowering addiction can be because this is someone who's got on, on the surface, like, you know, all the resources that you would need to kind of like, not, not beat addiction, but, but kind of like uh, manage his life in such a way where it's not as big, as a problem and i think the overwhelming sense that i got at the end of the book is this is a you know he talks a lot at the end of the book you know how much he really wants to have a wife or a girlfriend and settle down mm-hmm. and have some kids and kind of the, i had a really overwhelming sense of sadness about the fact that he, i don't know if he's, he's ever going to have that yeah so yeah those are the kind of things that i was feeling kind of towards the end No, that's fair. And I think it's definitely been a theme throughout a lot of this shortlist about access to medical care. 
Um, yeah. It's definitely been a thing. And yeah, I think you make a very good point. Obviously, he is talking from this position of, yeah, being able to get all that help as well as, I mean, being able to pay so much for the drugs in the first place. Yeah. I think there was one point where he's talking about how much he was paying someone specifically for. Yeah, something um, like thousands of pounds a week. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, thousands you know, of dollars a week, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very much said within that context. And yeah, it is interesting that that is something that's been a theme across a lot of the shortlist. Also, just on medical things, I did want to point out because it uh does uh, it did stick out to me quite a bit he talks about how after this stomach surgery and he had a colostomy bag and basically talking about how much he didn't want one and i just wanted to put it out there a little bit as a as a trigger warning because if you do have one he doesn't speak particularly acceptingly about it yeah. and i know there's um, a big push rightly so at the moment for destigmatizing colostomy bags and you know particularly think you know relate this to edward and Infos, you know about fashion around stuff like that and you know i've seen things of kind of like um swimwear models and stuff and showing colostomy bags and i'm very much in support of yeah reducing the stigma around it because uh, there shouldn't be but yeah, wanting to therefore flag it, Matthew Perry has not yet reached that level of appreciation yeah. for how important it is to destigmatize it. Doesn't really help and is really quite derogatory about it, but obviously is opening up his uh, experience and how he had felt that it was a bad thing and that it was something that he really didn't want. And that he did use it as a motivator for helping to cut down on his, his drug use and try and stop his addiction and, and various things like that. But yeah, and I think then talking about this, how yet yeah, the addiction really just, despite all those resources, you know, keeps relapsing and things like that. And I think, yeah, as you were saying, what it really does is it just highlights it's not that easy. It's not a case of um, just willpower, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's very much what this book is showing you know for anyone who thinks addiction is just a case of willpower and just oh well yeah but it's not that hard just stop it you know yeah. it, it isn't a case of that and it is a real battle yeah but i did think i mean you seem to disagree but i did think that um he ended it on a hopeful note i guess it yeah. doesn't end it with a hundred percent i'm going to be yeah. sober forever i'll never relapse again but he does end it at a point where he's feeling like staying sober is possible um yeah. and well, the, I mean, you know maybe... corners have been turned Maybe I misinterpreted the way that he said it, but mm. I think the reason why he thinks he's kind of, he said, well, I bottom up kind of like the opiates don't work on me anymore. Kind mm. of like all the other drugs that he was taking don't have, he, I mean, he'd have to take such a ridiculous amount <laughs> to feel it. To have it. Any yeah. Effect. yeah. To feel it. That is kind of like, well, there's basically no point, but that doesn't mean the destructive behavior is not yes. still yeah. there. Yeah. Um. So I, I think there's, just a couple of things that we do need to, to talk about before we move on to the next book. One of them is quite, I don't know, say serious misstep, but there is a misstep in here where he does kind of mention Keanu Reeves mm -hmm. a few times that's been in the news. And I think we do need to kind of mention it mm -hmm. as well. Most of the time when he's making jokes about something, he kind of, I think he hits the right target mm. a lot of the time, but this was like, yeah, I, I don't know what he was thinking by choosing like Keanu Reeves yeah. as, as the target of that particular joke. He could have chosen lots and lots and lots of other people to be the target of that particular joke. And um, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, there's a section in the book where he kind of talks about one of his friends, um, River Phoenix, passing away from a drugs overdose. They kind of worked on what was Matthew Perry's first film and that's kind of a really important moment in his life and he says like you know river phoenix's dies but you know kind of keanu reeves is still around it's like, like dude like 
what's Keanu done to you, man? Yeah. It's just weird. And that, you know, those references are going to be removed in um, subsequent mm-hmm. editions. I don't know how that's going to affect the audiobook where he needs to re-record it or whatever, but it's just, how did you feel about that? I just thought it was like a really weird misstep to make. Yeah. So I'd actually noted it down when I listened to it because I was shocked by it because effectively saying that uh, someone deserves to die, um, which is yeah. a very harsh thing to say. And I had noted it down. And then it was like a day or two later that my mum sent me the article about it being removed. Um, yeah. So yeah, I and I was like, well, I'm, I'm glad because it had stuck. It really stuck out to me when I listened yeah. to it. So I am glad. And yeah, he does say that he wasn't meaning it as an attack for him. It was a, a, mis- a badly written joke. Um, yeah. by the fact that he just plucked a random name when really he shouldn't have targeted it at someone. Um, or he then says, you know, kind of, or at me, which I guess would at least say the kind of idea of that he has throughout the book of I shouldn't be alive. You know, all these procedures that he went through, yeah. he shouldn't have survived them. And that kind of um, survivor's guilt that he has is more what the joke was about, I think, or meant to be about. The, but yeah, it still shouldn't have targeted there. Um, wasn't right. And yeah, glad that that is going to be actioned because it was particularly harsh and i think there was there was bits throughout it where i think he's been a bit harsh i mean as i say his kind of i mean he's quite acerbic isn't he yeah 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 yeah. like i say some of his thoughts or some of the things that he says about women i'm a bit like "Uh," and some of the things that he says about other people and you know there was the guy who beat him at an award show or unbeaten for like all the awards at the award show and he was quite cruel about him as well and about dentists in general um and things like that where i think you you can maybe take it as he is trying to make a joke and doesn't believe it and is maybe misjudging how funny it will come across um so yes not saying that all the jokes are perfect i do think it's still fair to say that it's still a funny book there are some very well-placed jokes that do read the room these ones did not and yet i hope yeah. that it is just a a, a miswritten joke uh, rather than something he actually feels I, I can't believe that got through the through the, the editing again yeah I just just yeah. beyond me yeah. how that got through the edit it's just like mm-hmm. anyway um but he does he does come across as someone that wants to be in control of like well have some uh extensive control of his creative process because the, the other section that kind of grabbed me as well was him talking with aaron sorkin as well but yeah mm. but on that i just find yeah. because that's the thing where a lot of the tone that you get is okay you, i think this is the phrase is maybe not the nicest person yeah it was really interesting learning how much he was like chandler but this is where i think you find out the differences where he's not because yeah, yeah. The, there was some not niceness and um, that came across in some of what he's done but also i think you know this is a lot of the case of what you get with celebrities and you know he was talking about how the fact that they were all bitching about each other and there's some of that in the next what we're going to talk about that was talking about you know celebrities will get together and talk about how they hate all the other celebrities so yeah. you know i think there is something of that in there but yeah there's maybe some bits where he doesn't necessarily come across as super nice uh, but then when you're talking about kind of him wanting to have control of the creator process there was one bit that made me go i'm pleasantly surprised by your approach to this because he was talking about a job that he was on where he was pitching jokes and pitching changes to the script and he this guy really didn't want to take any of them on it was we're just going to run it this way and the way that matthew says and that's his right i may not have been super happy about it but he's running his show he can have ownership of it that was great and i just thought that in contrast to yes some of the Small. This this is a, a minor part of the book. With some of the small bits where he doesn't come across as particularly nice, I was pleasantly surprised by how maturely he talked about that and how much respect he gave for other creatives to say, "I may not agree with you, 
but you have full authority to do that and I respect that. So yeah, there's a, there's a good balance in there and I'm not in any way tarring him as a nasty person, but just there was points where he wasn't as nice as you'd hoped he'd be, not as nice as you think Chandler is kind of yeah. um, thing was all that came across to me. So, yeah. so I think this is well worth listening to, especially if you're a, a fan of friends mm-hmm. I, I imagine there's kind of quite a few out there i think it's also kind of probably worth listening to if you've got any interest in addiction just to be yeah. you know it's kind of his his take on that but do go and being aware that you know while he does perform the text beautifully kind of hitting the human notes and the sad notes and all that stuff sort mm-hmm. of stuff you might be a little bit shocked at the state of his yeah his voice and i don't want to be mean no about that but there is it does sound damaged um what, what are your what you're closing thoughts yeah i mean i pretty much agree with what you said i thought it was a a good book i really enjoyed it i i got a lot of enjoyment out of listening to this one um i think we're going to talk about the next one but yeah i listened to this after a pocket full of happiness and i enjoyed this a lot more um if you have listened back on the podcast and have heard you'll know i haven't really listened to memoirs and autobiographies for very long yeah it's only been like the last couple of years that I've got into these. And yeah, this one I really enjoyed. And uh, yeah, was a Friends fan and was interested in that. I was interested in learning about the addiction stuff, which I think is presented really well. And just in general, it's written really well. We agree on that. We maybe think, yeah, it could have been edited better for like those repeats and potentially some content. But yeah, that it's written extremely well and the the performance, not necessarily considering the speed, but is still really well performed, really enthusiastic and really enjoyable to listen to. So yeah, I recommend it. I think it's good. Okay, cool. And then the next book that we're going to be talking about and kind of the last one on the short list is a Pocket Full of Happiness by Richard E. Grant, as narrated by the author. An intimate and uplifting memoir. Born in Swaziland in 1957, Richard E. Grant moved to the UK to pursue his acting career and has been a fixture on our screens since his breakout role in Whitnell and I in 1987. When his beloved wife Joan died in 2021, after almost 40 years together, she set him a challenge to find a pocket full of happiness in every day. The result is this book. Set between the present day and flashbacks to delightfully indiscreet diary entries recalling landmarks from his remarkable life and glittering career, this is an immensely personal and profound memoir that celebrates and cherishes life's unexpected joys. Funny, moving and perceptive, a pocket full of happiness is an insight into the life of a much-loved British actor. Okay, so the first thing I want to say is when you're listening to a book, you always bring your own personal baggage to it in terms of how you interpret things. Mm -hmm. And um, I think as uh, some of the listeners might be aware, my mum passed away from lung disease uh, a few years ago now. So a lot of what Richard talks about in the book in terms of the medical aspects and kind of also the emotional aspects of kind of receiving the news that someone that you love is terminally ill Mm. resonated with me quite a lot Mm -hmm. and I can kind of fully understand why this book is on the list because it is we mentioned kind of like Matthew Perry's book is kind of unflinching in the way that he's you know looks at all the terrible things that he's done to those around him I think this book is equally unflinching in the way that it kind of opens up this 
kind of raw, sore wound about the, you know, the pain of losing someone that um, you've loved for most of your life. Mm. Um, getting that out of the way, what were your kind of initial first impressions of it as well? Yeah, so this very much is about that. It's about his wife's cancer diagnosis and her deterioration and her death. And fundamentally, it was just quite bleak. And I therefore, I kind of, yeah, struggled with that and struggled to find the enjoyment out of it, even if it's not like kind of, haha, yay, I'm loving this enjoyment, because that's not what I had with the previous book either. That enjoyment is very different, but I did struggle to find enjoyment in it because it it was just really tough. And yeah, you know, this kind of pocket full of happiness thing it, it it was hard to see the happy in it there's a lot that's just really sad and I think for me it just really took its toll how much that was I think obviously that is what the book is largely about and so you know does what it says on the tin um not necessarily saying that it's doing anything it shouldn't do I and maybe it's about the mood I was in the things going on in my life all that sort of stuff while I was listening to it but yeah I I struggled to enjoy it and struggled to get through it because it is I think is is a really sad book. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's really fascinating that you felt that way. I, I mean, there's certainly things where they, that sadness and pain are kind of explored, and yeah, he kind of you know, how he expresses how hurt he is by the loss of his wife, and how mm-hmm. the process of taking care of uh, her while she was dying took a lot out of him. But my, I wouldn't say I felt. I, I mean, I certainly did feel sad, but like I, I think I've came away with it with a maybe he wanted to be slightly more celebratory yeah. about his his wife's mm. and his his relationship. And yes, I didn't kind of I didn't struggle to get through with it mm-hmm. the same way. Maybe that's because I've been through this. I, was, I I'm kind of I know you know what those feelings are like, mm-hmm. and I'm able to kind of empathise with that a little bit more. Yeah. So it wasn't a hard for me. There were certain sections, especially when he's talking about when they get the initial diagnosis, I found kind of quite tough because that did bring back memories of mm. um, sitting down with my mum's doctor and, you know, th- those sections where um, after she passed away, um, yeah. where his, after his wife's, sorry, passed away, kind of that, that kind of reminded me of the sections mm-hmm. um, with my mum's. But yeah, I didn't struggle to get through it the same way that mm-hmm. he did no that's so I, fair. I think that's kind of kind of quite interesting yeah and it was also something that i was thinking of while i was going through it is that i think fundamentally i'm quite different to both him and his wife and certainly yeah. kind of the oh yeah way they express yeah. their relationship for each other and their love for each other and the way that they interact with each other is just very different to how i ever would and so that by no means in any way, you know, uh, delegitimizes their love and how powerful and strong it was. But I think it weakened how much it affected me, if that makes okay. sense. So yeah. obviously we've yeah. had a bit recently where people have been talking about their significant other and it's, you know, been very moving. Um, and I'm not saying that this isn't moving, but I'm saying that in direct comparison, you know, having listened to them, you know, very close together, this didn't have the same impact for, for me. But I think I can very clearly identify the reason why. And it's just because, uh, yeah, I express love in a different way. And that's not what yeah. my relationships have ever looked like. It's not what my current relationship looks like. And so I think as well as, yeah, 
struggling with the sadness of the terminal illness content I also maybe wasn't as invested in the relationship you know kind of obviously Mm. they're not characters they are real people but if we were talking about this in a fiction sense you know it would just be a case of oh I didn't really you know connect with or identify with their relationship and that made it harder to get into the story and so yeah putting that back into this I think that was part of what it was as well just because they are quite different um people yeah so i think that's probably worth kind of exploring and getting into i think a bit um so you kind of mentioned kind of their style of communication so one of the things that stood out to me about their relationship and one one of the things that richard uh, talks about in the book is well the impression that i at least that i got was that they had a really open style of communication Mm. in terms of like trying to explain well i'm feeling this and this is why i reacted that way and kind of the other thing that came across as well and again like they do come across as like a pair of lovies like lovies yeah yeah yeah, kind of of lovely theater you know you know uh even when he's kind of they do come across as like theater people i I volunteered (laughs) in a theater and you kind of like you know you do over here kind of actors and directors oh darling i can't you know yes wasn't able to get a you know reservation and such and such restaurant oh did you hear the gossip about so and so they did that does very much come across in this book but Mm -hmm. um one of the things that i did find quite nice is how they had like nicknames for each other kind of like his wife never calls him richard she calls him like swazi boy because that's kind of and i thought that was kind of quite endearing and you know uh, richard you know would uh call his wife monkey which i thought was kind of Mm. quite quite funny and you know uh, you know how they never call um their daughter by her proper name just calling her oily Mm -hmm. as well and i just thought that you know those little details did kind of bring me into the relationship Mm. um and into their life a little bit more and i was able to kind of connect with them mm-hmm. a little bit so yeah it's just yeah interesting how you weren't able to yeah um, kind of, yeah. yeah yeah and no and specifically on the names thing i quite liked how the name oily came first and then they yeah. created a, a real <laughs> name for yeah. um other family members to be on board with which i thought was quite yeah. funny and yeah really nice which she needs a government name isn't it? yeah that was <laughs> it yeah exactly and that's the thing like none of this is you know i think they did seem like lovely people um it was just that i felt a distance i guess because yeah. yeah i couldn't okay. uh, couldn't feel myself in there but as i say we don't know all sorts of external factors that made me less enthralled yeah. by this book but yeah i think the the darkness of the subject matter and i guess my um unwillingness to be uh, kept in that space so much at the moment um yeah. also think it's worth noting i was maybe going to send this at the end of the podcast but I'm happy to say it now like obviously there's been some tough content in a lot of these books yeah that we've been reviewing that Fahed and I have listened to in quite a short space of time to get these all out before yeah. the uh before the awards event and I wouldn't recommend binging them all at once <laughs> yeah. is what yeah. I'm gonna say uh, yeah. and so I do think there'll be a bit of me that was I'd been bogged down in some dark stuff you know I think Nanette was the one I'd listened to just before yeah. that um you know I've been bogged down in some dark oh, stuff oh yeah that would be a yeah tough yeah um so i think that there's partly that to it as well and then yeah like i said i then was pleasantly surprised that even though matthew perry's had you know such dark stuff about addiction that it brought me up a bit of a level after listening to this one but yeah so i wasn't i wasn't really engaging with it as much didn't love it as much and i think also as i just alluded to before this felt to me like what i imagined memoirs and autobiographies were before i encountered them um and that's not a criticism of them at all it's just a kind of a i can see how other people would enjoy this but i'm not massively into it kind of thing yeah i wouldn't say i necessarily enjoyed it i Mm. would say i 
got a lot out, out of, of it. it. Yeah. If that, yeah, if it that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So, makes sense, um, yeah. Um, I also want to say, so because, um, it is very much framed around his wife and certainly about um, her cancer, but it does have some stuff about his career in acting yeah. and some similarities with uh, Matthew Perry's one of kind of behind the scenes things. I would say if you've not watched Loki and you don't want spoilers, then um, you might want to avoid <laughs> yeah. it. There's definitely yeah. some spoilers in that. If you've not seen the recent Star Wars, there's some spoilers. Luckily, I have seen the recent Star Wars, obviously. And I really enjoyed for them specifically learning some of the behind the scenes of that and a crossover again between the two books, learning about how on some sets, obviously we knew this is a thing, but knowing which one specifically, right? How on some sets they're happy to change the text on the day they're happy for the actors to help them change the text they'll give them new text at last minute on another ones it's the text is what the text is you better get it exactly right and so yeah especially with being a star wars fan it was interesting learning about behind the scenes for that how the scripting stuff worked how the relationship between the actors worked when they found things out all the sorts of behind the scenes there was good so that was interesting to to hear about but that was kind of kind of the only thing of his acting credits that I'd really seen. Um, so I think that was probably another Have reason. Have you not seen Whitnell and I? No, I haven't yet. No, I yeah, sh- it's, I've it's heard a good really things. good film. Yeah, 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 it's a really good film. But, but yeah. no, haven't yet. So that might be another reason why I didn't yeah connect with this as much because it wasn't a person whose work I knew mm. very much about. Um, okay. But yes, I've got some recommendations to go away with for sure. I'm I'm not putting this as a uh, as a good thing that I hadn't come across a lot of his work. Yeah. It's just the the state of it, the state of it that I, I haven't. Mean, that, I mean, that's actually kind of quite fascinating because one of the things that he does mention in the book was like. Like to me, he's kind of quite a famous person, but mm. he does mention in the book, well, there's always going to be someone that doesn't recognise you, mm. who hasn't seen anything that you've been in. And you've, you've just got to take that as a little bit of medicine yeah. for your ego. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I get yeah. I, I knew he was famous and I knew him and I knew his yeah. face. I just hadn't seen him in much. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about kind of some of the events in this story. So he talks about him coming to London, him meeting the woman that would kind of like, he'd kind of fall in love with. And I found that uh, section of how their courtship quite funny and kind of quite endearing. He does come up, you know, his performance, generally speaking, he does come across as kind of quite endearing. And there's kind of an excitement when he meets like a new uh, celebrity, um, Mm -hmm. him kind of being as excited as a regular person would be but i found their courtship quite interesting him staying you know the, the first time they slept together was like him staying over um at her house after kind of like she's she's um a really well regarded vocal um and accent coach and mm-hmm. uh, all you know lots and lots of actors and directors kind of go to her to help coach the accents and things like that and that's why he initially approached her and i felt you yeah, kind of like his, his ability to have what i've put down on my notes is like cold room riz in terms of like just going into like you know him staying over at her house because like the trains had left you know being in like a, a cold room in her flat and then just kind of like walking into her bedroom and just like saying oh can I jump in there I'm just thinking like I would never <laughs> the uh, it feels <laughs> to, a bit to, creepy to, to me not gonna yeah, lie yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> but, but it worked um, out well she was okay yeah, with but it. i think yeah. you know yeah if you if you say it like that but obviously like they were sending out signals maybe yeah, probably yeah. um uh, definitely because they, they, they were together kind of uh for 40 years so i did kind of i found those uh opening sections about their courtship quite uh fascinating the other thing that i really uh struck a nerve with me was that she 
at the start of their relationship was far more successful than mm, he was. Yeah. And then there's that kind of like reversal and he talks, I, I found it really fascinating when you know, that, that kind of reverse is like before she was kind of like the big person in the room that everyone would want to talk to. And she would be kind of like taking him to all these parties to introduce him to casting directors and other people and stuff like that. But then that kind of reversed and, you know, he talks a little bit how that took a long while for her to kind of get used to as well. And I felt that was kind of um, a really interesting thing about, you know, they were together for 40 years. So there's going to be like troughs and follows in a, a relationship and how mm. they dealt with that. I found was fascinating. Yeah, definitely. That is interesting. And I also think it's a point because it's like, it's not that she wasn't successful yeah. anymore or anything like that. But I think also the thing of like the actors are the ones where you see their faces all the time. You know, yeah. so even him reaching that kind of height of fame then ends up becoming that he's more known than she is, even though because she never stopped being so highly thought of in yeah. the industry and so requested. And yeah, everyone having such amazing things to say about her and, and in such high demand. So, yeah, and I one of the real takeaways from this is how much people loved her. He does yeah. a very good job of bringing that into the book, both through kind of like actually reading out some of stuff that they've said, but just in everything else that's the, the stories that he tells, you know, showing how much so many people loved her, you know, that had met her professionally most of the time. It was just really, really wonderful and lovely. Yeah, I think um, I was reading a, a couple of reviews around the book just to try and get my own thoughts in order. And one of the things that a few of the reviewers mention is how this book is like uh, a tri- not only a tribute to his wife because he does kind of extol her virtues not only as a vocal coach but as a wife mm-hmm. and as a and as a mother and as a partner and a supporter um, of all the things that he did and kind of guiding him through various things but also a tribute to the things that love makes us do for people kind of like mm-hmm. in terms of caring for people when they are sick and unwell and treating you badly and um all those sorts mm. of things so i think that also kind of came across quite strongly to me as well mm-hmm. um and yet there is a section at the end of the book which what's the what's the right word it's not like an epilogue but like maybe an appendix yeah um, kind of the, maybe yeah yeah so where he um reads out these tributes from all these really famous hollywood actors that were students of of Joan, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them saying, "Well, oh, you know, she was an amazing teacher. She, I, I would never have like been able to perform the role that I was, I was doing as well." And that, you know, just the list of names that were coming, there. and there was you know other vocal coaches, you know, based in the United States, saying that she basically established that role in this country. So, mm. and the, the other thing that um, Richard and he, I think his his family and friends tried to do was to try and get her on. Is it a nomination? What's the word? It was I'm like a Lifetime for? Achievement Award kind of yeah, thing. I can't yeah, remember yeah, the specific yeah, one. Yeah, I think she's trying to get her like a damehood, I think is what it, what it was to try and get her formal royal honour. And yeah, that was a, the other touching part of the book was that all these letters of recommendation mm. and tributes and stuff like that, they kind of put into a book. And, you know, Richard uh, asks Joan, oh, do you want to read this book? And she says no, but then he kind of subsequently finds out later on that she did read the book, but she mm. maybe didn't want to read it in front of Rich. And I found that kind of quite touching, mm. really, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that is a huge, overwhelming thing. 
from the book of yeah seeing how loved she was as a person and also yeah what a trailblazer in the industry kind of thing you know that's sort of what we talked about with edward's one as well the kind of impact that she'd made is um really cool and yeah so obviously the way that they'd met was because he'd gone to her for vocal coaching um and sort of poshing up his accent and maybe that's yeah. also another reason why i felt a bit distant from the book yeah. because he does have an incredibly posh rp voice um yeah. and potentially there was a bit of me uh, a bit of me <laughs> feeling some resentment there who knows yeah. but also because of that when he does accents in the book they're also really good yeah. um and or at least you know he does them and I yeah. find that enjoyable. Um, so there's a few different ones and there's some like kind of where maybe he's... well, there's Impressions and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, there's obviously the one where he's like doing the Doctor's Australian accent, but also like other actors, yeah, like um, Donald Gleeson, he does an Irish accent for him and stuff like that. So a pro point of the audio there, definitely. While we're on that though, I did think it was kind of, it was quite a clicky, shuffly recording. It didn't feel like mm. it was as as crisp as some of the others and i know it's potentially a bit rich me saying that i'm aware that uh, at least on yeah. my end the audio quality is not always perfect we're working on it we're uh, you know just doing this from home and yeah. Uh, yeah. teaching ourselves but yeah for a you know big book for like that i don't know i was a bit disappointed i think it got better um it's sort of a note from earlier on in my notes and i didn't necessarily feel it too much by the end but uh it's something to notice that i thought it was markedly yeah a bit shuffly a bit noisy and, and stuff like that sort of connected with that bonus for the audio there's some bits where you have of the thing that he's talking about you have the actual recording of it so yeah, like, like um he had a voice memo recording and earlier at the start he had like an instagram reel or whatever that he'd put out and i thought it was really good that they got the actual audio from those things rather than him reading out again whatever he'd said you know because you actually get the emotion of what he was feeling at the time and you actually yeah specifically get the thing that he's talking about that's a yeah. huge plus of the audio i reckon yeah, cool. So, so I think we kind of like briefly mentioned the section towards the kind of end of the book where he talks about kind of like the dying process. And I think he, he really eloquently expresses how painful and difficult that can be. And he kind of pays tributes kind of the nurses and the doctors mm-hmm. um, and you know, the other health assistants, you know, in the NHS and kind of like hospice uh, organizations that kind of smooth that process yeah. um, over. And I think, you know, that's kind of quite similar to my um, experience as well. Like the NHS and the North London Hospice were kind of absolutely amazing in terms of the mm-hmm. um, support they provided towards my mum. So I kind of really wanted to touch on that. The other thing mm-hmm. that I wanted to touch on, which is kind of maybe in the complete opposite direction, mm-hmm. kind of Richard does come across as kind of quite a quirky character kind of these you know got lots of anecdotes about weird things that have happened to him but i think the the, the standout one for me is his kind of obsession with like barbara streisand (laughs) yeah um how how did how did you kind of like feel because sometimes you do wonder sometimes oh is this all authentic but it's kind of that's such a weird thing i I don't know is barbara streisand like i don't know but yeah Yeah. discuss (laughs) yeah i don't know i think yeah it's obviously it does end up being a big part of the book it's clearly a big part of his life and as you say yeah a bit quirky and interesting um i didn't for a second doubt that he was 
being real and authentic about it yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. i don't know what that says about him but um yeah it's an interesting nice insight to the character and also to their relationship you know the sort of jokes about uh you know kind of any jealousy that might or might not be there and and kind of how open they are which is something that's really great about the relationship as, as i said how open they are and yeah this kind of joke about this love affair um this very one-sided love affair <laughs> Uh, kind of thing that's uh, that's yeah. quite funny. But in, uh, one thing I did find interesting actually was kind of there was a a bit where Oily kind of said to him, "She doesn't want to hear about your one sided love affair now." Yeah. And there was a thing about uh, kind of it being the right moment, and you can tell that this is clearly a couple who you know use humor as a way to get through stuff. And we've talked about how important that is. But it was interesting having that real like you know dead set. This isn't the time kind of this is yeah. where the boundaries are kind of thing that was uh yeah kind of if you want to see it as a motif it was interesting yeah. how that barbara streisand thing kept coming up and the different ways when it was a really funny joke when it brought them together when it was oh my gosh i'm actually meet- meeting her and it, it was all about that and when it was kind of a this marks a significant kind of moment yeah. because this is no longer what we can this yeah. is not a time to joke kind of thing yeah, yeah. and i think the other kind of thing that does come across here is kind of like how much he wants to share with his wife throughout mm-hmm. his life and mm-hmm. kind of one of the big things was like when he was nominated for an oscar and yeah. like she said to, i just i can't i can't be there yeah it's just like it's, it's too so kind of like how much how sad he was about that and you know how, how he did understand it but it's kind of like well, i love you and i want you to be there because this is like a really important special yeah. thing and yeah, so that is kind of um, also kind of quite touching. Definitely. On that moment specifically, yeah, that was really, really sad. And it's so difficult because you can see both sides of it. You can see how much he really wants her there. You can also see how, you know, physically she's not in the best place where she can. And yeah, that was really tough and really tense. And that was a point where I could, you know, I identify certainly with the relationship of, yeah, you want to be there to support your partner. Um, you want your partner to be there to support you. Uh, yeah, it was just a really, a really poignant moment, I think. I also wanted to switch on what you'd said about the shout out to, yeah, the NHS doctors and stuff like that. And obviously, yeah, completely in support of that. And again, this is what we've been saying, that access to medical care has been a, a big theme throughout mm. the shortlist. I kind of, I was interested to hear when he, he was explicitly saying it was NHS, because until that point, I wasn't sure that it was. Maybe part of that is me assuming because they're famous or whatever. But also I felt like how quickly they got an appointment during the height of lockdown seemed um, uh, not to tally up with what I'd heard of other people's experiences. But yeah, so I was, I guess I was glad to hear when it, when it was NHS, very glad to hear of that shout out maybe cynical this is complete conjecture i did wonder because it isn't acknowledged i did wonder how much went to her her standing you know we talked about in edward Enninfalls how he uh, got an appointment with a doctor because mm-hmm. someone he knew knew them and yes this might still be through the nhs but i don't know how much was was done on it it was clear that at least one doctor did know of her in that professional capacity and that it was known that she was famous I don't know. To me, it felt it felt a bit inaccessible how much the uh, the kind of the treatment was, as I say, specifically during lockdown and things like that. But it was interesting hearing about how lockdown did affect it. Um, yeah. And yeah, comparison with what you would brought up about parenting hell. You know, yeah. this is a lockdown book, and it is within the context of that. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad to hear that you felt that yeah, you had had a similar experience. And hopefully, it's me just being very cynical. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of build up on that point, I would say my mum received similar levels of care 
in terms Good. of like getting um, access to doctor's appointments and stuff like that, mm. that Joan did. I don't think there was kind of like um, any different. I think maybe, and I'm not, if I have to, I'd have to kind of like compare the timelines. Like my mum mm. was sick for a considerable amount of time mm-hmm. before she was kind of like diagnosed with like terminal lung disease. But in terms of the, yeah, after that diagnosis came in, I would say there was no difference between the care that she received and what Joan received mm-hmm. um, as well. As far yeah. as I could tell, maybe they, obviously they were rich and they were able to kind of, they had access to other resources in terms of like cottages and friends' houses and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But um, if you've got a large network of family friends, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that was particularly, I don't think they got any more or less mm-hmm. um, medical care due to the kind of the, the privileged position yeah. that, they, okay, that, good. That, that they were in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm so, glad yeah. to hear that. And yeah, as I say, it may be an unfair comment from me and it was more just kind of how I'd felt up until the point where Yeri acknowledges, okay, this was NHS. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> good. I'm glad because it, it seemed like it was sort of, yeah, um, inaccessible, as I say, is kind of how it had, yeah. had felt. But yeah, on a very different note, uh, one of the last things I wanted to talk about was just about the writing style. So again, this might be another reason why I just really didn't connect with it as much, is that because a lot of it, as it mentions in the blurb, is like diary entries, it's kind of written with with a style that kind of suits that, I guess. It felt very bullet pointy to me. Kind of the main thing that comes up a lot is that like the subject of the sentence isn't there. Like the sentence starts with a verb. It's like went downstairs and she was doing this. That's what I mean by like bullet pointy and doesn't have the subject of the sentence. There was a lot of that. And I didn't like it. Um, I didn't enjoy that. And therefore I think the prominence of that throughout the entire book is probably just another reason on there as to why it wasn't the kind of book for me. But yeah, so did you disagree? Did you like that style? I I kind of quite enjoyed that because it kind of, it gave a real sense of like presence Mm -hmm. of him being in that moment and kind of like, it kind of felt raw and unfiltered. It wasn't, you know, he does write beautifully, he does kind of uh, construct beautiful sentences, but in, in those moments, especially towards the end, you can kind of just feel that this is like the raw emotion that he's kind of like mm. putting mm-hmm. down there. And I think it, it helped me connect with him a little bit more in terms of like, oh, this is probably, and if I'd done this while my mum was um, passing away, this is probably the way that I would write that stuff down as well. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, yeah so that helped me kind of connect with it um, maybe um, a little bit a little bit more mm-hmm. I think so yeah yeah that's very fair and yes yeah, certainly the emotion the rawness isn't something that I necessarily connected with that but it's very definitely there and you know as you've said before it's there in the performance you know he is an actor yeah. you'd expect him to do a good performance of it and he certainly does and yeah has that thing that we've talked about across a lot of reviews where you can really hear that emotion you can hear how tough it was to yes. talk through these things um, yeah, so, um yeah. You can kind of hear real joy in his voice when he's kind of yeah. recounting these celebrity anecdotes, and <laughs> that you, you can tell towards the end of the book where he's emotionally drained, and his voice is broken, yeah, and stuff like that, and he's taking long pauses between words as well. So he does perform generally quite well. I would say, in terms of whether you're going to listen to the audio or not, is that it's, it will depend on how much you enjoy listening to Richard's voice because mm-hmm. it can come out if you if you're not into kind of like the the, the lovely theatre darling kind of like uh, aspect of someone's personality. <laughs> it can, it might be grating to some people, but yeah, like for me, I really, I, I don't think enjoyed is yeah. the right word. I think I did. It helped me kind of explore some of my own emotions around, you know, the, the experience that I went through. And yeah. I think it kind of, it really, he kind of writes quite pointly about how kind of like grief is a living thing. 
Um, it's mm. kind of, it's, it's something that grows with you and stays with you. And you need to find ways of coping with that. And, you know, obviously the title of the book is a pocket full of happiness. That can be, I mean, even he himself mentions in the book, because that, that can be a really almost nigh on impossible thing to do on some days, mm. but it's kind of, I think what he wants to get across is that there, you know, grief is, it's a living thing. It, it grows and stays with you and you need to find ways of using it because like the universe goes on. I mean, this is something that, you know, Matthew Perry said in his book as well. The universe is neutral. Mm-hmm. It's going to go on with you or without you there. And you, you know, you might as well make a go of trying to do something positive mm. with your life as well. So I would recommend this. What are your kind of closing closing thoughts yeah just quickly though i wanted to say what you said there about kind of about grief because i think it's interesting because i had less because this book ends kind of shortly after joan dies yeah i sort of feel like this is more a book about loss than it is about grief i know Mm. it's a very minor distinction but i do think it's a point worth raising that he definitely talks about grief and he talks about this idea of yeah finding the pocketfuls of happiness and thinking celebratory and all those things about how to deal with someone after they've gone but it's interesting because it's from the fact that he talked with joan about that while she was still there and a lot of this is kind of like preemptive grief kind of conversations which are just as worthwhile having just as worthy but i do think it's yeah it just you made me think of it then the way you were speaking about it that yeah i wouldn't if if i were describing it to someone i wouldn't describe it as a a book about grief because it sort of talks about a different stage of loss than that that's really interesting but yeah so for my closing thoughts i have nothing against this as a book i'm not in any way saying that it's a bad book but I didn't get on with it. I Yeah, as I say, I hadn't connected with it as much. I found it very sad. I was very much overwhelmed by the subject matter and I didn't love the writing style. So yeah, that kind of meant that it wasn't a book for me, but I by no means am saying that I wouldn't recommend it if you think it's the kind of book you would like. I don't have anything negative to say from any sort of objective standpoint. All my criticisms are very much subjective of things that I didn't get on with that made me think this wasn't my favourite book, but not that I don't think you guys should listen to it. So, yeah. Okay. It's really interesting how like this wasn't the book that I'd expect us to kind of like dis- <laughs> not necessarily disagree on, but yeah, it's kind of like... Have such different experiences. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different yeah. experiences. Of- okay. So because this is the last uh, in our series uh, discussing the books on the book of the year audiobook nonfiction shortlist i think we should probably talk a little bit about maybe trends in the shortlist like most of these are celeb biographies yeah. mm-hmm. in one form or another and maybe i found that a little bit disappointing i think the closest we got to kind of like a subject matter exploration would have been menopausing yeah and obviously even that was very focused on Davina's experiences yeah Um, Davina's experiences as well so yeah was interesting also interesting just point on that is um if you guys have seen the covers a lot of them look very similar as well yeah um but yeah because very similar books and cover designs is very interesting and um in general and how they connect different titles together but yeah i think there's a lot of similarities across these books like we've said healthcare is very much in here you know and even you know matthew perry's being based in the states you know talking about the differences of (laughs) american healthcare and having to pay for it as we know very much so yeah and yeah happy to know this is very much a pro nhs um shortlist and some interesting stuff on it and as well as some really good stuff with kind of audio 
innovation. So obviously yeah. my favourite for that being the Parenting Hell one. Yeah. And since we recorded our review of that, I've actually gone and listened to some of the podcasts um, yeah. and I've been enjoying that. And also the little kids saying stuff has clearly been pulled from that. It's been really interesting okay. seeing kind of the stuff where they've clearly gone, okay, this is a thing of the podcast. What should we do with the audiobook? That, yeah, I think is really clever as well as obviously we've talked about in both Pocketful of Happiness and in the net, how there's been clips of other stuff included in there. Yeah. Um, it's great. There's been kind of extra bonus commentary in a couple of them. There's been uh, some adaptation in some of them that, yeah, it's been interesting across them. Yeah, kind of menopausing, having different uh, performers. Exactly, out. yes. Sorry, that was the other thing I wanted to list. Yeah, exactly. The different actors in that and choices. So, yeah, yeah it'd be a really interesting list. You kind of mentioned uh, access to healthcare. I think the other thing that kind of come across is that most of these well obviously a lot of these celebs work in the creative industry but i think the other thing that comes across is um how different people approach the creative process kind of mm. edward ennefall trying to oh we constantly push boundaries and not settling yeah, for yeah. kind of like a hierarchy hannah gatsby trying to break down the norms in like stand-up comedy mm-hmm. and not trying to fall into those patterns matthew perry talking about like the hollywood um creative process mm. and how frustrating that can be or how great that you know that can be richard e grant also talks about when you know when he's working on those uh big budget films like star wars for example he goes into how much admiration he has for the director there and how mm. many um balls he juggle balls yeah. and spinning plates mm-hmm. whatever analogy that i'm kind of looking for and how difficult that can be as well and even like even parenting hell also talks about kind of them putting the podcast together yeah and them writing you know the fact that they comment on their writing of the book especially in the ad-libbed sections that yeah Yeah. you see behind that creative process completely agree and yeah you've got that angle that you said about different approaches to it but literally all of them give you some insight to behind the scenes i think kind of the least would be menopausing but even so because you learn about her as i said it was a really tough one for me to hear but as she was doing live shows and the way she was struggling with that as mm. um, the kind of mental symptoms of the perimenopause, the kind of forgetting and her eyesight was with the auto cue, you know, learning a little bit about the behind the scenes there. I think that's sort of on the end of the spectrum, but you still have a bit of it. And then all the others. Yeah, you had so you had the behind the podcast and most excitingly for us, in a sense, the behind the audiobook recording process in that. Yeah. Amazing. You had Nanette, obviously, the behind the scenes backstage, um, you know, how her show got created. Amazing. You had Edward Enenfall's What Goes On Behind Getting a Magazine put out there. You know, a really industry insight thing there. Then you had both of these two talking about, you know, specific shows and movies and the behind the scenes there. So, yeah, not something I would have necessarily known we would get from this shortlist. But I think for basically everyone, I've said how I've enjoyed the getting that industry insight, getting some behind the scenes. Um, and it's cool that we've had that across all of them. That's great. So um, thank you for listening, everyone. Please do check out all the books on mm-hmm. the yep. shortlist. I think they're all probably worth checking out, even if you a title doesn't seem the sort of thing that you'd be into. I think it's still uh, worth listening to. Yeah, I also specifically wanted to acknowledge the fact that The Island of Missing Trees is nominated for the Page Turner category. And I'd recommend you listen to that in audio. I absolutely loved it. You know, go back and listen to our episode. Uh, maybe listen to the book first. We tried yeah. to be not spoilery, but there's maybe a few um, things in there where it'd be better if you've listened to it to enjoy our conversation. And, yeah. you know, I don't care about the spoiler to say that we both loved it. Um, yeah. I especially really 
really love this audiobook. I can't stop going on about it. So yeah, I would say go and listen to that. And yeah, it's not shortlisted in an audiobook category, but all of the the nominations, you know, if they have audio format, then there's no reason why you can't enjoy that. It's just these ones have been specifically selected as being the best of the non-fiction audio. So yeah, definitely check them out. Check them out in whichever format you want to. But a specific shout out to The Island of Missing Trees and specifically to that in audio because I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So the winners of the British Book Awards will be announced on Monday, the 15th of May. You can tune in on the British Book Awards website to kind of see the live announcements and the recipients receiving their rewards. This is going to be our last episode for a while, we're taking a bit of a break because it's just uh, been a bit of a push to get all these, um, listening to all these audiobooks. When we come back, uh, we're going to be launching a Patreon. So please keep an eye out for the details of that. If you can please continue supporting the podcast, either by leaving a rating or review, wherever you've listened to us, that really helps us get discovered. Um, following us on social media at AudiobookishPod on Twitter, Instagram, and facebook and we're also on tiktok now as well i think <laughs> and if you want to get in touch with any recommendations or comments you can email us at audiobookishpod at gmail.com uh thanks poppy any any closing thoughts no that's all good thanks for joining us for this and yeah enjoy the award ceremony Th- uh, thanks guys see you later bye bye